Welcome to Grace River Church, located in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Our mission is to see every generation experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives. We hope you enjoy today's message. Praise the Lord. Do you sense His presence in this place this morning? Um, great worship. My goodness, powerful worship. And I want us to just continue. I know last week, <clears throat> and we set that up purposefully this morning. How many raised your hands last week that you want God to somehow use you? If God can use any person, what would that look like and you would want God to use you? I just want to start by saying this morning that it's usually going to be, here's how God wants to use you, it's usually going to be with that thing that consumes you. Um, it's, it's that thing that, <clears throat> if we're honest, sometimes we're praying for God to deliver us from it because it's the thing, the thing that keeps you up at night. It's that thing that is always on your mind and it's, it's nagging you, it's nudging you. Now, first of all, let me say, I'm not talking about the convicting of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm speaking on that holy discontent. So there is a convicting of the Holy Spirit, and we can, we can touch on that just to, enough to say that if you're doing something wrong or if you're living in a way that you should not be living, that's probably the Holy Spirit. Hey, John, come on, man. Um, you're saved by grace, but let's walk this out. That's conviction, right? Everybody knows what that, what that is? You ever feel conviction before? You ever feel convicted because you just didn't raise your hand that you feel convicted? Here's, <clears throat> here's what I'm talking about this morning. That thing when you say, God, use me, and he plants this little seed in your spirit. He plants this seed in your life, and it starts to grow. And instead of it being like we want to live in this peaceful existence, it's starting to make you miserable. And it's starting to itch a little bit. It's starting to bother you. Because you've heard that there's a need. Or you've heard that there's an issue. It, there's been an injustice. There's something that's not working. There's something that's not right. And you just can't get your mind off of that anymore. Because you prayed, God, use me. And God's planted this. And there's this, what we know as a holy discontent. Bill Hybels, former pastor of Willow Creek, many years ago wrote a book called Holy Discontent. And what he referred it to was the fact that we have a tendency to want to make sure that things in our life that we know aren't right, we want to get them taken care of because we know they just need to be taken care of. But from a biblical perspective and what God is doing in our lives spiritually, he refers to it as a holy discontent. You're just not satisfied. Not with taking care of yourself, but you know somebody's hurting and you just can't sleep at night. Something's broken, and you feel that you just need to be a part of fixing it. That's what holy discontent is. And we're going to look at that this morning because I'm just tired, and I think many of us feel the same way, of just going through the motions. Going through the motions, nine to five. I know that's a very rare uh, hour of work for most of you now. It's more like nine to five, and then your part-time job, and then you go home and have a full-time job. There's no normalcy to anything just about anymore. So we're, we just feel like we're going through the motions, but when we say, I want to be used of God, listen, 
It's a walk. It's knowing Him and making Him known. It's understanding that there's going to be a lot of different things that God wants to do in us and through us. And I said this several weeks ago. Before God does anything through us, He's always wanting to do something in us. Before God ever does any great things through you or or things that change your world or are things, as Josh shared a moment ago, that start movements, God will start a movement in you first. That holy discontent. And I want to be used of God, but I want to tell you something that's going to cost you. It will cost you something. Now, if, if you want to leave, now's a good time. It's going to cost you something. When you pray, God will answer. And usually when we pray, God, do something great, he's like, okay. And he starts in here. And he starts that weaving. And that discomfort kicks in. And if you're like me, you're like, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I've got this discomfort. Can you take care of that real quick? And he's like, no, you prayed for this. This is what you prayed for. There's this stern. No, Lord, I wanted peace that passes all understanding. Well, you're going to understand this one. You'll understand in a little while, John. And there's a stirring. There's this anxiousness. There's this, there's this can't get comfortable. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't, my, my mom always called them this. I'm sure there's a medical term for this, but <clears throat> when I was, uh, just a few years ago, it only started, but when I go to sleep at night, it doesn't bother me all day long, but when I go to sleep, when I lay down, anybody ever hear the fidgets? I don't even know if that's the real term or not, Okay. My mom just always said, I've got the fidgets. And I'm like, whatever whatever that is, I don't care. I care now because I'll be laying in bed and my my legs will just, bam, they'll just, like, electricity went through them. And I just, my poor wife, nobody can get comfortable and my legs just kick. And I'm like, Lord, what's causing that besides old age? You know, things just happen and you can't control it. And you even pray, Lord, get rid of that. And it just happens again. It's, it's sort of like that in my spirit. It's sort of like that in, in my heart, in my inner man. And it's not, it's not because of sin. It's because you see things in the world around you, and God's saying, enough is enough. And in your spirit, you're starting to say, enough is enough. And so we, we find ourselves here praying and sort of being surprised, but it becomes a burden. It's a weight. There's a weightiness. Maybe I'm talking to myself this morning. There's a weightiness. And it's a part of the cost. It's a part of what we go through as we walk this out. Until I can fix this, until I can be a part of the healing, until I can be a part of what God is doing, and and God's showing it to you, or God is letting you sense it's out there, God, you just feel like something's getting ready to happen, or you feel like something needs to happen, and it hurts. But you can feel it. Bob Pierce, <clears throat> many years ago, the originator of Samaritan's Purse, wrote these words that many have heard and know. But he prayed, God, break my heart. Let my heart be broken with the things that break your heart. God, whatever you're concerned about, let me be concerned about it. God, whatever's breaking your heart in society, When I see it, let it break my heart too. 
make me an instrument. But, but I got to tell you, uh, until you're willing to go there, you're not going to really feel it. So God, again, is doing something in us. But be encouraged, it's not just us. The Bible is replete with examples. He took Moses, and Moses, who had gotten quite comfortable living in the wilderness. As a matter of fact, you know the story. He was in leadership in Egypt, killed one of his own brethren, ran for his life, and for 40 years lived on the run. Ended up, and I don't mean this sarcastically, but ended up literally working for his father-in-law, taking care of sheep. Now, I'm pretty sure he could have easily been content, but God met him. And I say this many times while I'm speaking to you. When you take God seriously, when he meets you, he will mess you up in a good way. Because when God starts to speak to you, all of your plans go out the window. When God starts to speak to you, everything that you thought was stable begins to shake. But, but Moses found himself now not just tending sheep, but he was able to stand in front of Pharaoh, the greatest leader of the world at that time, and say, let my people go. You don't get from sheep to there without having an encounter with God. I think of David. You all know the stories. I think of David, how, how this young shepherd boy, preteen, young teens, anointed by God to be the next king of Israel, but while he is still a teenager, finds himself hearing the voice of Goliath and asking the question, who's going to take care of this? This guy's mocking the God of Israel. Is there not a cause? Who's going to deal with this guy? I will. Oh, David, he's got an impulsive personality. CeCe's covering that on Tuesday nights. <laughs> He's got personality issues and, and don't pay attention to him. But you know who paid attention to him? King Saul. Because it's funny, when the world doesn't have a backbone, they'll let you take a shot. We just have to be bold enough to trust God. And God had birthed something in him that the God that he served would not be defiled. And he was willing, this little teenager, he was willing to take a little uh, stone Five of them, actually, and many believe it was because he had brothers. And I still think five, give me 15 at least. Because I, I don't trust my skills with a slingshot. I might miss a few times. David only picked up five stones. Why? Because he only had four brothers. He planned on hitting them one at a time. That's faith. He was willing to face a giant. He was willing to step out of his comfort zone and face a giant. I think of those, those four friends of the paraplegic in the book of Mark, Mark's second chapter. When this guy was broken, he couldn't get off the mat, he had four friends who were willing to get out of their comfort zone and carry their friend to Jesus and tear a hole through the roof if necessary to get him in the presence of Jesus. Now, why is that important? Can you imagine trying to help someone who could not help themselves and people stopping you and you're trying to press through a crowd what are you doing we're just trying to get this person to jesus are you out of your mind yes 
Because we've had to get so bold that we believe that if we can get him to Jesus, it'll make a difference. We've had to get to the point in our life that we realize if we can just get people to Jesus, if we can just get leaders to Jesus, cities can change, nations can change, lives can change, families can change, and it takes a boldness that's willing to get out of the comfort zone. But see, you have to, you have, to have this holy discontent that we don't see a lot of today. I think of Jesus. You read of Philippians chapter 2. He, he did not think it wrong or inadequate or unlikely to compare himself to God. In, in other words, and, and I'm paraphrasing this, he could have said, I'm God. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do this. I can stay in my comfort zone. But the Bible says he chose to leave his comfort zone and take on flesh because he knew there was a need. He knew that unless he did that, that movement that God sent would not be started. The same is true for us. I wonder, I wonder what God is speaking to all of us individually. I wonder sometimes what God is speaking to us as individuals because it's not about starting the next major movement. It could be that God is just showing you and giving you a holy discontent about the neighbor about your family, about circumstances, about your place of business. See, I'm almost hesitant sometimes to make the list because you're like, I'm not on that list. And you ignore the list that God's trying to speak to you about. But what is that holy, what is it that you see around you that, that that's got to be fixed? Now, true confessions. I, a part of my personality is, one of the dark sides is I can be critical. So I can find a problem in anything. You know what I'm saying? Can I get a witness? And I don't mean about me finding a problem in anything. I mean, you can find a problem in anything, right? No, we agree, Pastor. You find a problem in everything. No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> if you're that kind of a person, it's easy to look at sometimes life around you and you can, you can pick out every problem. You know, even if it's as silly as nothing's on TV today. But here's the reality. Um, when we're spending time in prayer, what is that thing that you're saying, wow, God, yeah, that needs attention. And every time you watch the news, that's the only thing that jumps out. And every time you talk to your friends, that seems to be what rises to the top of the conversation. Because they may not even hear it, but you hear it. Am I making sense? Let's look at this passage for just a few minutes this morning because the reality is God moves us out of our comfort zones for a reason. And we're talking about this rebuilding brick by brick, not necessarily um, any particular thing because it can be your personal life that you're rebuilding. It, it could be circumstances that you're wrestling through. It could be family issues. It could be anything. But here's what I found. Here's what is important, and we sang it this morning. Jesus Christ has to be the cornerstone. On Christ alone, he's the cornerstone. So as we're building this this morning, I just want you to hear, and we're just going to talk about Nehemiah for just a few minutes. In Nehemiah chapter 1, it reintroduces us to him, and we talked about this last week, and gave a little bit of an overview but in chapter 1, it says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekali, in the month of Kislev. Now, that's about November, 
December time frame. Tells us who his father is. It's about November, December. In the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of his brothers, came from Judah with some other men and questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. And they had just been to Jerusalem and they came back and now he's asking them what's going on. They said to him, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. And I mourned and I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So what is this saying? <clears throat> well, first of all, I want us to notice a couple things about about what's happening here, that he hears this news and it resonates so powerfully with him. We talked about this last week, that, that the children of Israel had been in bondage, they had been captured by Babylon and overtaken, and they were, they were pulled out of Jerusalem. They were taken out of Jerusalem, and when they were taken from Jerusalem, it really was the Babylonians' intent to go in and destroy anything that would remind them of Jehovah, anything that would remind them of God, because if you can wipe out their past, there'll never be a future. If you can wipe out what people believe, there'll never be a future. And so they, they made them exiles. And what does exile mean? It means you're taken out of. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you're forced to live in prison. It means you're forced not to go back to where you belong. They could not go back to Jerusalem. And for 70 years, <laughs> we read this, and even, even we see in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, Daniel says he's, he's reading what he called the book. Chapter 9, verse 2, he's reading the book. And he says as he's reading the book, he, he sees, and some say he's reading Jeremiah, because Jeremiah had already been written. Some think he's reading Jeremiah, because Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29 says that, that there's going to be a captivity of 70 years. And even Daniel's reading this and says that, hey, that's 70 years, let's see. That means we're getting out of here. 70 years, times are changing. And after 70 years, there's this new king on the scene because Babylon is taken over by Persia. So now King Cyrus is saying, listen, <laughs> I want you to let all the people who want to go back, all God's people who want to go back, go back and build the temple. Go back to your land. Go back to your, to your place that you started. Go back and build a temple. And I find this strange. Because when you read Ezra chapter 1, it says that only 40,000 went back. I wonder why. I wonder why when the king says everybody's allowed to go back, only 40,000 go back. Now listen, before we get too self-righteous, let me break that down for a second. Think about all the people who were born in exile who really didn't even care about a temple anymore. See, you can live so long in the wrong that you think it's right. You can live so, so long, you can be birthed into something that seems so normal that somebody's saying, man, go, go back and have a brand new beginning doesn't even seem normal. And why? Why, Pastor? That, 
That seems like it would be the natural thing. Well, think about it. Even Jeremiah told the children of Israel when they were going into bondage, they, you know, many were saying, we're only going to be here a little while. Believe me, we're false prophets. But Jeremiah steps up and says, listen, you're going to be here for a while. You're going to be here 70 years. Build houses. Plant vineyards. Be a blessing to the community. So what's happened? They've been a blessing to the community, but they've been a blessing to the community so long. Think about it. Families have settled in. Families own homes. They've moved into this new place. They, they couldn't go back. They were in exile. They couldn't go back to where they came from. So they, they settled in, and they finally got a good job. This will make sense in about 30 seconds. They finally landed that good job. They finally got that raise. They finally got the kids on the soccer team. They finally got the kids into the right school. And now some king says, leave it all and go back. It was easy for a lot of them to say, to what? To what? I just, I just got comfortable. Things just got good. What do you mean leave this and go back? Things just got where we wanted them. I mean, man, our whole family for generations now has been living through all this pain and suffering, and we just got to a place where we can enjoy life a little bit, and you're saying, go back? Build a temple? I'm good. Hello? It got really quiet. Did you notice that? So here's, here's what happens. 40,000, they go back, and that's the, first, that's the first trip. That's the first group. That's Zerubbabel. That's Zechariah, that's Haggai, and we talked about it last week. They go back and they rebuild the altar. It takes many years, but they rebuild the temple. <clears throat> Zechariah comes and he begins teaching because once again, many, many, many of them who are going back have no idea what they believe. So Ezra goes back to begin just teaching the word, teaching, teaching them. Here's why you believe. Here's what you believe. Here's what's going on. But it's in the midst of all this that now years later, and just think about this, because Nehemiah, and you don't read it in these first four, four verses, but it, as we read through the rest of Nehemiah, you'll see that he is pronounced as a cupbearer. What's a cupbearer? He's a man with a great job is what a cupbearer is. He's, he's probably any, any king had a cupbearer, and it probably was someone from a foreign country because he had no way he was going to ever control the leadership there. But it was someone who had the ear of the king. It was someone the king had to trust because the cupbearer tested the wine, tested the food. It was sort of like um, um, uh, your own personal bodyguard slash had the ear of the king, could help him make decisions to make sure he was always safe and protected himself, hung around the right people. So he had great influence. He lived in the palace, not a bad deal. That's why he probably was a part of the third trip back. Because even Nehemiah might would say, when they first said we could go back, I really didn't think it was a good move. I don't know. What I do know is that he responded when God called him. Because see, his brother comes back now, and we just, we just read this, his brother comes back from a, a visit there, and he says, how are things going? Not Things aren't going like we planned. Yeah, they built the temple, but, you know, really, that, that 
worship has gone downhill. They built a lot of houses. Things are looking good, but the wall. We're, we're being mocked. We're being ridiculed. Th things are always able to attack at will. And that this, in their mind, why would anybody want to go back? We go back and work hard, but we can't hold it for very long. Something's always going to happen. And it says that he began to weep and cry. Now here's, here's the challenge this morning. As simple as this is, what makes you weep? What makes you cry? What keeps you up at night? What has that holy discontent in your heart? Now, I, I just want to challenge this because here's why a lot of us would say, I can't even remember the last time I cried. Can I tell you that distraction will do that to you? We live in a world that we're capable of being so distracted, we can't even fo focus on the right problem very long. And, and we play it off as, well, I've just got so many problems. No, you really don't. We're just so easily distracted, we can't focus on the one. Now, I, I know, oh, here he goes on this technology rant. It's not even technology, guys. Um, yes, you, you've got more friends on Facebook than you really have friends. Okay? You can go on Instagram and whatever. Social media may say you have a lot of friends, but you, you just have a lot of watchers. Um, it, here, here's the thing. It's easily to get distracted just doing stuff. But see, your, your emotional response to, to what God is doing sometimes will demand that you stand still and know that He is God. It will demand that you stand still and spend some time knowing Him. It will demand that you stand still. Well, Pastor, we do. You know, I've got six devotionals on my phone. I can do devotionals while I'm driving. I think I saw you the other day. We, I can do devotionals at work. I, that's just it. We go through devotion without having devotion. And, and I'm, I'm just challenging you. If you're here this morning and say, man, I don't really know that there's a real, I don't really have a burden for anything. You don't slow down enough to find a burden. You don't, it's like trying to put a saddle on a running horse. Okay, that might have been an old analogy. Maybe it's like trying to board a flying plane. How's that one? That would be incredible, wouldn't it? You know. Here's, here's the reality. Most of us think, let's just do life as fast as we can, and if God wants to use us, he'll get our attention. Here's what I found, tragically, but here's what I found. God tries to wake us up occasionally at two different occasions. Are you ready? Weddings and funerals. Because the wedding, you're seeing what God desires to put together. And you're forced to sit down long enough because you know the bride will get angry. And if you, if you just sit long enough, the wedding will be over and you know there's food. So you're willing to watch. But it's in that small, it's in that small time frame that you're reminded, here's what God has intended. Do you promise do you pledge? And everybody out there has to sit and think, whoa, that's pretty steep. I'd have changed those words. I don't know if I'd have used that 
We need to use more of a contemporary version, right? Um, but then there's funerals. Funerals remind you that, that this life is very short. That as, as awkward as this might be to say and hear, it's not about here. It's about what God is wanting to do here. This is just the practice run. This is just us getting prepared for what God wants to do in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, I don't want to get lost there except for don't get lost here. God is wanting to do something with you here. God has got a plan for your life here. What is that? If we don't, if we don't stop being so distracted that we can't spend time, and, and I know, please, I, I'm speaking not from a pinnacle, from, from the valley with you when I say this. Um, our culture teaches us to be OCD. Our culture demands that we multitask. Our culture demands that we do six things at one time. And God already says, I'm only going to be number one. I'm not going to share any with any other God. And we're trying to juggle God into number six. I would juggle, but that's all I got. Right? Just, just watch. It's going to happen. Ready? <laughs> here's, here's what happens. We start to try to start juggling God. I know I'm making sense. We try to start juggling God into the picture, and we wonder why life is just sort of meaningless, futile. Um, everybody's got problems. Christians have problems. There's no brain. That, that's, that's easy. We know that, but it's like we have problems, but we don't look any different than the world. There's no joy. There's no happiness. There, there's no freedom it's just bond, we're still living in that bondage. And he, he's, saying, he's saying, you have to stand still. That's why when, when Nehemiah heard this, he didn't jump up and run to Jerusalem. He just started to weep. When Nehemiah heard this, he, he felt the complexity of the situation, and, and he was able, we'll talk about this next week, he was able to look back over the years and realize your God. If we're not careful, we'll, we'll make all the same mistakes all over again. Our, our, our living, our sinful patterns and cycles will just stay the same over and over and over again. Rather than stopping and praying. So what happens, what happens when we cultivate this, this holy discontent? Well, first of all, if you don't even have a holy discontent, let me just encourage you. We're going to close in prayer in just a moment, but if you don't have, if you can't even think of one, let me just encourage you. Just some practical steps. You ready? Just serve. Just serve. Um, maybe it might even be a, something as silly as, and let's just talk about Sunday mornings real quick. It might be something as silly as when you drive up, uh, unless you're under the age of 70, don't park in the front row here. Well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, get 70 and see what parking in the back looks like. And what, what does that even mean? Park out toward the end of the parking lot. If you're under 25, don't even park in the parking lot. You know, park on the edge of the grass, don't mess it up, but walk. You know, you can walk and text because you can drive and text. 
So you can, you can get out there and walk a little bit. Now, here's my point. That, just start serving, because here's what's going to happen. You'll just intentionally say, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to park, because I prefer my brother. I prefer that my brother has a better place to park, or maybe a visitor will come today, and a friend can park there instead. I prefer. You know where I'm going, right? Because our whole life is built on preferences. And usually all of our preferences are not about anybody else. All of my preferences, you ready? They're all about me. I prefer cheesecake. Not chocolate cake. Pastor, all we've got is chocolate cake. That's not my preference. I don't like it. Well, Pastor, I prefer this lifestyle. And I prefer my lifestyle. We've talked about this the last several weeks. Uh, we live in a post-truth culture. See, that's not even, it's not even post-modern anymore. It's, it's not even, it's, not a, it's not, not a millennial issue, it's not an X issue, it's not, a, it's not a, any generational issue, it's a culture. And here's where we've gone from. We've gone from your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. We've gone from, okay, we believe there is a truth, but I'm still going with my preferences. That's why it's easy to take the word and just pick out your, your favorite chapter and that's all you need is one chapter. But you just sort of leave out everything else. That God is not a God of preferences. There's no suggestion box in the Holy of Holies. On the other hand, what would it look like if I, what would it look like if, if we all preferred each other over ourselves? What would it look like if we preferred, now, now let me just say this up front. I've got to live everything I'm talking about. I've got to live everything I'm, I'm preaching you about. So I am not preaching at you. I'm telling you, we have got to practice. Is it easy? No. It, Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 16, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Here, it's, paraphrase it this way. If I really am going to be a follower of Jesus, it's not about my preferences. It's about me looking at my brother and looking at the world around me and saying, what, what do they need? How can I help them? Not how can I get more. How can I get what I need? After a, man, after a while, we just start playing this as every man for himself. And that's code for every God for himself. Because we have created ourselves as God when we say every man for ourselves. So, so we throw preferences out the window. But now listen, let's just be transparent. That's hard. That's hard. Because our flesh rises up. Can I get an amen on that one at least? Why is it hard? Because I want what I want. And after all, we've all been taught from birth that we are the kings and the queens of our universe. We're, we're, we're treated like that. We're taught like that. He's hurting my feelings this morning. No, it, it's, it's really more about denying yourself, crucifying the flesh. And it's a painful thing, crucifying the flesh. How many would prefer that I just wrap this up? So if, if you're having a hard time, some practical steps, park. Park differently. 
Um, when, you, when you go to work tomorrow, when, if, if you teach, if, if you're a student, what, prefer your brother, prefer your sister. That's just not an alcoholic scripture in the Bible. Prefer those around you. Don't have to get your way. Don't have to win. Don't demand. Impact the culture by, by being Christ-like. And, and here's just two simple ways to do it. You ready? The, the first thing is simply this. We just got two very simple points. Give yourself completely to Jesus. Now, I know that sort of is a no-brainer. But here's what that means. Remember last week we talked about that verse out of 2 Chronicles? That the, the eyes of the Lord rove two and four over the whole face of the earth, looking for the person whose heart is completely his. Why? So he can show his power through that life. God is looking for people whose hearts are completely his. One of the first things I have to ask myself, and again, what we're talking about this morning is a surrendering mode. Because to say, God, give me holy discontent. Show me what needs to be fixed out there. Surrender everything to me first. Surrender, John. You can't fix the world broken. Surrender. You, 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 want, you want to conquer things without being conquered. Surrender. Heard read this a couple of weeks ago, and I've only shared it with a few people, but here's, here's a real true fact. There's two, two entities that want you dead. God and Satan. God wants you to die to self. Satan wants to kill your destiny. But if you can die to self, you'll have a destiny. If you can die to self, you'll be amazed at how holy discontent will start to rise up in your spirit. When you're dead to self, now what, what you couldn't even see last week, you know, there's a need in the school over here. I'm going to go fix that. I'm going to go volunteer. I, I, there's a need over here in, in this business. I'm going to go help them. I'm going to go bless them. You'll be amazed at what God just sort of shows you because you've surrendered completely to him. But secondly, simply says this, give yourself an honest evaluation. Now, if you can't give yourself an honest evaluation, just get two or three friends and go somewhere where there are no knives. And just ask them to lovingly be honest. I have found it's always safe to be willing to be honest with yourself first. Because <laughs> people will be brutally honest. What does is, what is an honest evaluation mean? God, you and I both know I've not really surrendered. God, you and I know, you and I both know, I'm just playing this game because I'm trying to make as much money as I can because after all, I've been living, and God, I finally got this good job. I finally landed this. I finally am where, God, finally things are going good. And God is always going to say, but what if they could go great? Have I, have I really surrendered? Because really, only I can really answer that. Because not only is it about really, have I really surrendered, am I really, if God were to show me something, would I really step out and go there? Would I really want to see lives change? Would I really want to see people develop? Would, or am I always the center of everything? Because if I'm always the center of everything, 
it, believe me, we're still in Nehemiah. Because before you can ever move to start rebuilding a wall, you've got to first know that there's a wall to begin with. You've got to first understand that something's broken. And sometimes a, a real honest evaluation helps you understand more is broken than you than you think there is. Is this his motivational sermon? More is broken in us than we want to think there is. And we covered up well with our gifts and our talents. We covered up well with, with the things that God has given us. But here's what you can never really cover up. When you put your head on your pillow at night and God says, how's that wall coming? God, I've not even started attention on it yet. Total surrender and a real evaluation. Now here's how I want us to close. In just a moment, I'm going to have you stand and I'm going to pray. But after you pray, um, I'm going to have the praise team sing a song and, and our prayer team is going to come up. Because here's, here's what I want us to pray this morning. And, and I want to invite you that desire to come down. And we want to just pray with you. It's not, it's not a proof of your salvation. It's not a proof that you're serious about God. But if you, if you know that you're wrestling with something that God is either calling you to do or, or there's this holy discontent, because I'm not just talking about serving in an area of ministry on Sundays. Believe me, you may want to, well, Pastor, I'm not really, my gifts say that I've got my gift assessment at home. Forget your gift assessment right now. This only says that I'm at, no, forget the word only. God wants to stretch you out of your comfort zone. But Pastor, I don't, I don't like kids. You need to oversee the nursery for a couple of weeks. Get to know the love them a little bit. Or at least prove your feelings for kids. Pastor, I don't, I don't really like you know, I, that's not my gig. I get it. So this is not about getting you involved at church. Believe me, you're more than welcome. This is more about helping you understand that when you see needs around you, it won't be just in the four walls of this church. There are people hurting around you everywhere. There are people struggling. There are businesses, companies, ministries. They're struggling. They need, they need to know that there's a God who will send people to rebuild things and put things back together. It could start with your life. And maybe you're saying this morning, I, I really, I don't know what that is. I want us to pray together. Maybe you're saying, Pastor, I, I know exactly what it's been, but I've been avoiding it. I've got the gift of procrastination. I've been avoiding it. I've been putting it off. Because quite honestly, I, I've, I've, I am settled. I'm more settled than I want to, than I want to admit. I've got more security than I want to admit. And after all, it's the American dream, isn't it? Somebody give me an amen here. It's the American dream to retire so you can enjoy life. It's almost a curse, guys. I want you to enjoy life. But you need to let God put something in your spirit that's bigger than retirement. You need to let God put something in your spirit that when you're 50 and 60 and 70 and 80, you're still a part of something that lives are being changed, people's needs are being met, families are being healed, put together, lives are being touched all over the world, it, but you've got to stand still long enough for God to say, have you heard about and what you can do?
Amen? Let's all stand. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, God, you know every heart, you know every individual, you know every need. And Father, we stand here this morning and we, we certainly are not so overly confident to say that, Lord, we've got this. Lord, if you'll just help us a little bit, we, we've got control. Lord, no. Lord, I, I confess this morning, without you, we are hopelessly lost. Without you, Lord, we are in trouble. So, Father, I pray this morning that, that the individuals who are here this morning that are saying, you know, I, I really don't know what that holy discontent, that restlessness, I, I really can't say that I have one. God, I pray that, that as they just surrender to you with their whole heart, God, I pray that they just give themselves to you as Lord and Savior and watch you lead and guide them. Lord, for those who, who may have some fear and anxiety because, Lord, they're just afraid that you may say, walk away from everything and move here. Lord, I pray that you just encourage them right now. Lord, you're just trying to do a work in us. And that as we walk this out by faith, anything you ask us to let go, when we realize who you are, will be easy. Lord, I pray, for, I pray for those this morning. They can see, they literally can see and taste that holy discontent. They know what it is. God, I pray that even in these next few weeks, Lord, whether it's their personal lives or families or businesses, whatever it may be, I pray, God, that, that you would raise us all up in, in a holy discontent that says there's got to be change in my life, in my family, in my circumstances. Things cannot stay the same anymore. Make us hungry, God. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you want to hear more, you can find our entire archive on our website at graceriverva.com. Also, if this message has touched you in any way, we would love to connect with you. Do this by filling out a connection card at graceriverva.com connect. From all of us at Grace River Church, have a blessed day.